The Man Whore Podcast is sponsored by the Pure Hookup app. Pure Hookup lets awesome people have casual sex tonight. Download the Pure Hookup app on Google Play or the App Store. Pure, the hookup app that says it's a hookup app. Now let's get to the show. Welcome to the Man Whore Podcast. Happy New Year to all you menstruators, man-haters, and erotic emancipators. This is Billy Presida, and you're listening to the Man Whore Podcast. All right, all right. Hello, everyone. How you doing? Welcome to the show if you're new, and hey, welcome back if you're not. If you are not familiar with this show, uh, this is a podcast where I typically talk to women I've hooked up with about sex, dating, and why we didn't work out. However, this week's special guest is not one of my former flames. No, 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 no. Uh, this week, I've got the wonderful, uh, the very knowledgeable, the multi-talented Emily Varnum from the Fifth Vital Sign, a wonderful organization you're going to learn oh so much about in a bit. But first, no show dates, people. No show dates right now to share. I had to cancel my uh, my December 6th gig at Mohegan Sun because uh, I'm doing an impromptu trip to Atlanta. And uh, so I, I have no dates to share with you. Just uh, head on over to manwhorepod.com. Sign up for the mailing list. That's how you stay up to date with all the latest Manwhore podcast news. I'll be sending out uh, my monthly newsletter most likely tomorrow or, or sometime this week. So you're going to want to go ahead and get on that. Here is a date you can save. January 31st, uh, we will be doing another Fan Whore Facebook Live hangout at 3 p.m. Eastern time. Go ahead and put that in your cows, you know, the G cow, the I cow, the X cow, whatever cows you use. Put it on a post-it note, slap it on your fucking wall. Before I get to my guest this week, Emily Varnum, uh, I want to share with you a little teaser of a bonus episode I am releasing tomorrow. As you all know, I do uh, four bonus episodes of the Man Whore podcast available exclusively on Patreon. Tomorrow's is a $10 bonus episode. Christina Hepburn. From the TNA Talk Sex podcast. It's a podcast you may hear me on uh, in the near future whenever they uh, they release that episode. But I had a really cool conversation with Christina because she is a professional cuddler. And we had a really fascinating conversation that really opened my eyes uh, to, to cuddling, to touch, just a non-sexual human touch, to consent. Really fascinating conversation. But I want to play a little teaser clip where we uh, <laughs> we were holding hands... The entire recording, she suggested we could hold hands and experience non-sexual touch while we were talking. And it was quite pleasant. And then uh, at one point, she wanted to do this exercise. So uh, this kind of goes in. We do some humming. Why don't I shut up and just let you listen? And And they're like tailor sessions based on how I'm picking up on what you need. You know, like sometimes it can be more talking. Sometimes it's more high meditation we do this humming thing i hum <laughs> we'll hum together um, what's what's the hum sound like um okay well, we'll hum together at the same time oh god okay here well, actually we, go. we should do what i do so this for hugging very intimate right, yeah so. i'm like well usually i'll do it from the back so, i'll actually lay on their backs where do, but you and okay. i can hug is it too much to hug chest to chest we i, we can, I think i can try to handle that All and right. we're gonna inhale and then we're gonna hum together at the All same right. time All right. so it's like a normal hum 
I don't want to do it wrong. I know. I wonder how it'll sound on the for anyone listening. If you uh, hear, I'll put. I'll, I'll leave this one in front of us, and you can like drop yours. Oh, down. I was thinking we'd put them behind because we're gonna hug, so that our chests okay. are pressed. Our chests are pressed against each other. Okay. Okay. Ready? So you're gonna breathe in. How'd that feel? That felt nice. But again, like it's back to the thing where like the the shoulder touching with like women during the movie thing. Cause I'm like, oh shit. Now like there's that sexual tension thing. Um, cause y'all, y'all <laughs> you see felt that you felt like a, like a sexual tension. I felt that when we started holding hands, I really? was just like, yeah, I got, it subsided more later on, but I'm like, oh my God. Cause again, I've, I, when the well, fuck have I held a hand yeah. when I'm not here, lost? I'm it's, it's only like when like I'm intimate with someone <laughs> or if I'm lost and I'm like, someone help me. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. Well, but that's part of it is that we, so our, again, our culture is like, Hey, you're only allowed to touch if you're having sex. Mm-hmm. So then your mind is wired to think, okay, there's touch, so sex must be involved. And I think that is kind of creating this like bottleneck problem in our culture that's causing a lot of stress and anxiety and fatigue and also like these um, hurt feelings when something is just sex, right? Someone's like, well, I thought it was going to be a relationship. You're like, no, I just haven't been touched in two months. And I was like, oh, oh, like really into you then. Yeah. Like, I don't think I could lie in bed half cuddling or like do I could never do that gazing session while cuddling with an attractive woman and then not like fall in love with her by the end of it (laughs) I don't think it'll happen I'm great with eye contact but we're just gonna like stare each other and not like talk in the microphones Uh yeah no no way I that won't be but okay it won't get uncomfortable it'll just be like I will right okay but let me ask you this how okay this this becomes theoretical though it's like What is it to like? What does it mean to fall in love with someone? Like, can't you fall in love in that moment and enjoy it and then move on? I would have a hard time experiencing intimacy and having like an intimate connection that doesn't have some sort of like at least pseudo sexual connection. Like, I have friends who, but for example, that friend Jen I told you about who yeah. like I did the tantra thing with me. Right. Um, I have had a sexual connection with her in the past. Right. We have not done anything sexual together probably in a year, mm-hmm. maybe longer. Mm-hmm. Um, we have seen each other playing. We see each other sex parties. Like we've seen each other very like naked. We have like hugged with like little kisses on the cheek, uh, but never like a, like sexual connection after that. So there's an intimacy. There's like a friendship intimacy, mm-hmm. but there was previously a sexual one. Right. And that's why I guess like that doesn't make me uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But like if I was just to like be in a bed mm-hmm. with an attractive person <laughs> staring at them mm-hmm. for an hour, mm-hmm. I think by the end of it, I'd be like. So are we going to like go steady? What's going on? <laughs> so if you want to hear that entire bonus episode and get access to dozens and dozens of others, head on over to patreon.com slash man podcast. A lot of cool stuff over there. And you're doing a great thing because you support me and this show. And, and don't you want to do that, right? You want to do that. You do. And uh, also, I encourage you all to go check out Christina's podcast, the TNA Talk Sex Podcast. Emily Varnum uh, is, is my guest this week. Emily uh, is the co-founder of The Fifth Vital Sign, which is a fantastic organization, uh, reading their mission statement. Our mission is to use education as preventative care, encouraging individuals to make informed choices about their health. We spread accessible reproductive health information that is inclusive, fun, and captures the complexity of human experience. 
in addition to uh, her work with the Fifth Vital Sign, she's also a doula, educator, uh, a period person. Uh, if you got a question about the periods, she's got the answers. And uh, <laughs> uh, in addition to her work with the Fifth Vital Sign, Emily is also a doula. And it's again, I you know I say this in the in the show, but a doula is someone like we know that that is a job that exists, but I at least know f- fucking nothing about it. So I was fascinated. I I ran into Emily in a coffee shop, and we kind of just got started talking. She was wearing a really cool, fun feminist shirt. Uh, I think it was like an aggressively feminist shirt because I think it had to do with murder, like mur- like murder. <laughs> it was like a it was like it was very much a don't fuck with me shirt. And I was wearing Reed Mahalko's Sex Geek shirt, and so you know we were chit chatting, and I just how serendipitous that I meet someone in a coffee shop who is just the perfect person to have on this show. So we covered a range of topics. I mean, everything from uh, babies be babying, <laughs> children and bodily autonomy to periods, uh, cervical fluid, raising children, consent. Justice and oppression. I mean, we we really spanned a lot of stuff. Really fascinating conversation. I was a big fan of this. Uh, so thrilled that Emily could make the time to sit down and chat with me, and for uh, for her patience, for my big dumb manness that that pops up from time to time. So I hope you all enjoy my conversation with Emily Varnum. I just I, I start off. I just I fear the like eye rolls that may be coming. It was like that's what started in the platform. That's okay, I'm okay with that. Yeah. I think that's I think that's a good fear for like for a lot of people to have. Just like the fear of the eye roll. If that gets people to behave a little better, great, fantastic. Or like in the present climate we have right now, it's like, you know, people are like, I'm afraid like this, that. I'm like, good. Be 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 more scared. Be more yeah. afraid. Men have always well, I guess not to presume this about you, but cis men have always expressed a little bit of fear when interacting with me and what's changed over the last few years is I just don't go in and get them and make them feel better about it because I think people who identify as female and people who um I think basically everybody who doesn't identify as a cis man feels pretty afraid a lot of the time and so it's not that I'm trying to enact that on them it's just that I notice that we try and make them feel better a lot. And I just mm. stopped doing that. And it's making my conversations a lot better, actually a lot more intimate because I'm not just covering it up. I'm not being like, Hey, I'm letting them be in the vulnerability for a second. And that's actually been really good. Yeah. I've never been a fan of coddling. I think coddling, whether it's like a child or a, a grown 40 year old man who feels awkward. I don't think that like makes anyone change. Cause I go to a sex party, like it's good that I feel like self-conscious passing through the tight group when I'm trying to like maybe get through to a different doorway, right? I got to go through. It's probably good that like I'm being very mindful where my hands even accidentally hit as will happen. But it's like good that like I know I'm saying, hey, excuse me, like I'm making very or like I'm just trying to get through. I pro- <laughs> If I hit your ass, I'm so sorry I wasn't on purpose type of thing. It's like it's good because you know what? That prevents the, the more hard shit, hopefully, I'd imagine. Yeah, I think... Um- and not to go right into it, but recently I've been noticing that when I say no to any kind of sexual interaction, like there, there opens up a space of, of like very deep vulnerability in which people will try everything that they've, all the tools they have, which I notice are very few, um, to try to kind of regain some ground on that. So they'll like, they might be angry 
Um, they might be, they might kind of try like an emotional manipulation tactic and mm. be like sad or like they might kind of try and wear me down. And I've noticed that there are just, and I'm, I work with very small children. I see babies be born. I'm working mm -hmm. with people really at every stage of life through very big transitions. So it's very emotional work. But I'm just like, wow, when did we not teach you to hear the word no? And how are we going to do that? Mm -hmm. You know, because I'm aware of of a lot of my actions and how I behave in certain ways to make myself feel safer um, and to like, you know, Yeah, a lot, like I noticed recently, I was like, oh, wow, sometimes I laugh at men's jokes because I'm literally afraid of them. And I don't seem, I'm not like somebody who is, you know, shy or feel like, <coughs> feels a lot of fear and lots of, you know, my work is like, I feel my work is brave work mm -hmm. to be doing, but still I'm like, wow, that's been, been embedded in there to just be like, okay, let's just placate and get yourself to a place where you feel safe. And the empathetic part of me goes like, Uh, goes, oh, that's terrible. And it's so sad that you're laughing at jokes, like almost as a, as a defense mechanism. The comedian in me is like, I don't want that laugh. That's a cheap laugh. I want to laugh because it was a well-crafted joke, not because you're terrified of me. You know, this is probably a good time to say I'm here with, is it Emily Varnum or Varnam? Varnum. Varnum. Emily Varnum from The Fifth Vital Sign, mm -hmm. uh, who I ran into in a coffee shop as I was waiting to, I, was, I had an intern interview that was running very late and we ended up chatting over, mutual admiration of t-shirts <laughs> and uh and then we started talking about your work and i was like fascinated and blown away i was a big fan especially the stuff about working with kids and and body literacy and, and if do you want to run down the list of of your jobs you have many things you do <laughs> yeah sure so um i'm a birth doula which means that i attend births and work with pregnant people mm -hmm. um hopefully your listeners know why i'm saying people and not women um And I am also a birth control doula. So I support people in making informed decisions about their birth control. Um, and I co-founded the fifth vital sign, which is a project, an education project teaching reproductive health and menstrual health. And we focus on, on the body. So on your, your own body and the body at large, your community. So it's very much this, um, space of accountability, responsibility to each other and, um, support and trust. And yeah, it's body literacy and it's informed decision-making. So we really trust people and what we're doing is giving them transferable tools with which to feel more secure in their own bodies. Um, And those tools, you know, they, the, sp the span of like what that looks like is really how big, um, your community's needs are. And, and that's about social justice. I really think that, um, yeah, social justice for me is what love looks like in action. Um, and that's an individual and a community based thing. So, yeah. And then, um, I also write and I support families, really any transition. So, um, You know, sometimes it's like transition out of this world and sometimes it's transition into this world. Um, and it's it's so many different kind of parenting decisions. It's like being like an aunt to like hundreds of people. A um, professional aunt. Yeah, yeah. And then it's also about like working within the community of people who offer this work. But it's a really nice kind of through line to have the one-on-one -on -one experience and then also the education like i'm building curricula from from feelings that i've had and experiences that i've had and seen people have and conversations that we've had and you help work with the kids through like what type of age like prepubescent pubert so with um with teaching menstrual health yeah like eight to 
13. Mm -hmm. Um, But then we also do adult classes. And then when I'm working with people postpartum um, and they've just had their baby, then I'm working with maybe the parent who's given birth. I might be working with them on like deciding what birth control to go on and thinking about sex postpartum, which is like a huge topic. And then thinking about like really what it comes from is if I don't have these conversations throughout life, we, we, we kind of buy into this fantasy that we only like sex is only for one type of person or one Mm. age like reproductive health really gets focused on in in certain like key moments and it's like no like you know i'm interested in like how do you have sex when you experience homelessness i'm interested in period sex i'm interested in like how do you relate to um like how does your body feel through menopause like what is it like going back to having sex after having had a baby um what is what is your body like what's it like when you're lactating like i'm interested in those things because those are the reality of people's experiences in their bodies yeah you know and when you explained this to me i thought it was fascinating that you could be working with the same person from like when they're figuring out to be on birth control when they're figuring out to be off birth control through the pregnancy through the birth like at the birth um mm-hmm. with that and then with that kid till you know, until she's finally getting tampons or whatever, mm-hmm. or a cup or whatever you mm-hmm. you would you advise people to get. The fuck do I know about periods? Um, wh- <laughs> what is the current like? This is the best thing to be using. Is it the cups? Is that still the the thing? I think the best thing to be using is your brain. As in, the best thing to be using is whatever it is that you feel is best for your body. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think we even have a concept of what is normal. As in, like what your normal is or how to know what your normal is that the fifth vital sign is literally the menstrual cycle as a vital sign. It tells you so much about your body and so much about your health. So, you know, unless I know what somebody's internal map is and how far up their cervix is, I couldn't tell you. And I don't know what their, you know, maybe they have so much sexual trauma that they don't want to put anything in there or their cervix is really low. Mm. Um, so I'm going to say like, well, you could do disposable pads or you could make cloth pads or you could use things. Um, and I want people to know that there's not one set answer, you know, like we really need to make space for people to have different normals Mm -hmm. and for there to be many normals and many truths, you know, I'm finding that is such a big tool for me in my dating life is just being like, we both heard something different at that point. There are multiple truths. Like, how can we, um, how can we affirm that there are multiple truths and also affirm each other's truth? Mm-hmm. And, and like, do you ha- like? Is it more important that you win, or is it more important that you're together? Oh man, that's a hard one for me. Uh, as uh, someone was like, "Hey, do you uh, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy?" I'm like, "Oh, that's typically said by someone who's not usually right I, in my mind." That is great. And the I do think the normalcy thing is o- overrated. It was actually, I think that was the title of my college essay. It was just like. I've never been normal uh, in any capacity. So I just, this is dumb. People email me like, oh, is it normal? I'm still a virgin at 22. Who gives a fuck? Like, stop caring about being normal. Do what's like right for you. Like, yeah, your own personal normal. I think that's fantastic. Like, what is your normal? And then in that space, just just like finding a way to be, like I said, to to be okay. Like, I really think of it as like, I'm okay, you're okay. We're Mm. different, that's okay. But then it's really easy to say that when you, like I was always really affirmed in my body. I grew up in um, a non-monogamous commune. I grew up with lots of people around who were affirming each other. And there was obviously, there was problems with that. I feel like- um, I feel like that's an op-ed that I need to write about (laughs) about non-monogamy and white people. But, um, But ultimately I do feel like 
you know, it can be easy for me to say that and much, and, and really what my responsibility is and what all of our responsibility is, is to carve out a space in which culture catches up to that. Because that's where we have a responsibility to each other is like, if we have this level of understanding of something and we see um, the language and the tools that we feel need to be out there for our communities to feel liberated, then it is up to us to bring those into spaces and have difficult conversations and and move anything that's in the way because that cultural shift is what's going to, you know, raise up this generation of babies that I'm seeing be born right now. And mm-hmm. that's like the responsibility we have in every moment. Like people are always like, how can I do justice work? And I'm like, take what you do and make it justice. Mm-hmm. It's everything. Yeah. Everything is about justice if you want it to be about justice. Because everything, if you don't want it to be about justice, is about oppression. Mm. All, what's your origin story of this? Like, how did you get to be where you're at right now? Um, who raised you to be thinking this way? Who raised you is my is one. Who of my did favorite, this to one you? One of my favorite kisses. <laughs> like when somebody does something, like tries to put a dry hand on my clitoris, I'm like, who raised you? <laughs> like, just no. That's not how that goes down. On your dry clitoris. Yeah, dry hand on my clitoris. It's one of the saddest, I think, combinations of words I've heard. Maybe ever. A (laughs) moment of silence for dry hands on clitorises everywhere. Rest in peace. Pour one out for all the dry clitorises (laughs) on the block. (laughs) But yeah, so, um, so, I mean, I was raised by pretty progressive, open people. And um, I went to a lot of festivals when I was a kid. And um, I'm Emily Moonbeam. So obviously, I think that already tells you that's your is that your middle name. Oh, yeah, Emily Moonbeam. <laughs> I didn't know if that was your birth. I did look you up on Facebook to be like, I- I'm sure we know some mutuals. And so Moonbeam, I was like, is that her burner name? Or is that like a real thing? Not pro burning man. Oh, no. <laughs> um, so <laughs> yeah, actually on my Tinder profile, it actually says no burners. No burners. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. I'm not trying to cosplay poverty because I already lived through it. So mm-hmm. <laughs> sorry, everyone out there. Um, we can talk about that. You can, sure. you can tweet me. I mean, I would um, ima- well, I imagine that's part of like kind of your origin story. I imagine that's part of your yeah. experience to how you get to be so social justice oriented and, and trying to make a change that you are. So Yeah. I mean, I think that really ultimately I saw and f- I saw a lot of things that felt really bad and I saw a lot of things that felt really good. And as a kid, I was always with all the other kids like I always was taking care of the younger kids than me from the age of seven people would like give me a little bit of money to take care of their kid at a music festival kids at the commune or at just the commune neighbor- and at the fest- uh, festivals because we were all summer like um, my best friend had this circus so we'd be like touring and circus a solar powered circus yeah. a solar powered circus yeah so I was, oh, you know, better and my better. dad had a bus, we were in the bus, living in the bus from when I was little and moving around. And I just was always with the kids. And I felt like um, from when I was really young, I had this experience where I watched, we were like at this playground at a festival and I watched an adult with a kid, the same age of the kid that was like under my care, little toddler. And I watched them trying to put the kid on the slide. And the kid was like trying to walk up the steps to go down the slide. And this adult just took their arm and like yanked them up the steps. And I was like, wow, you didn't give that kid the opportunity to learn. You didn't get them. You didn't, you literally didn't let them like climb that mountain for themselves. And I just made this promise that I would never, ever do that. I would always stand by somebody's side and watch them climb their own mountain. And I've literally been doing that you know, for the, for the last 20 years is just watching people in various different ways, climb their mountains. Mm. And it's not that 
I couldn't say like, well, this is a quicker way to climb that mountain. It's just, it feels so fucking good to climb the mountain. I'm not going to climb it for you. Mm -hmm. I want you to do it. But, you know, birth is something that you literally no one can push that baby out for you. You know, no one can, um, no one's going to heal your trauma for you. No one's going to, you know, decide to reclaim parts of your story for you. You have to do that. And people can be with you through the entire thing. There's just going to be part of that bridge that's single file and you got to walk by yourself, you know? So that was really, really for me, it came from seeing, you know, so many experiences of, of family and so many different ways that family looks mm-hmm. and being like, these are all okay. Um, and then, and then seeing like how much people's own birth stories affect them today. And, um, you know, in college, my, my, um, I guess like, what I studied was counseling therapy. And so, um, you know, I really was like, wow, I need to, you know, I want to work with people who are, you know, trying to heal. Um, and then I was like, wait, but I could start this with kids. And then I was like, wait, but I could just be there at the birth and we could like start from that point. Um, and so it's always been about, you know, it's always been about healing because yeah. I really think that that is, and people are like, oh, this is really serious. Sometimes like, oh, you're always like bringing this into the, but really for me, it's like the most joyful work and the work that I do is, is conspiracy. It's breathing together. It's collective respiration. It's, it's, it's the breath that you're in constantly. It's never the one that you've just taken or the one that you're about to take. It's such a present state of being to show up for transformation. Mm you know, and that's, that's everything. That's what we need to be doing. Like I've recently been saying, um, I just wrote this love poem called fuck the police and fuck the police. Um, This, there might be a copyright (laughs) issue with that one. I I heard that there might be a song out there. Oh, (laughs) I think there was also a movie or something. Uh, we may have to look into it, but okay. Tell me about fuck the police. Like it's not a, um, (laughs) you know, I wrote it for, I wrote it because I needed to write about love. And a lot of the writing I do is literally just the way that I process because if I didn't process the trauma that lives in my body, it would kill me. Mm -hmm. Um, And fuck the police is really about saying like, fuck the police is really a synonym for I love you because fuck the police means I trust the people and love the people around me so much. I will do that extra work because I think we can do this without police because I think we can do this without prisons because I think that, we can figure this out if we decide to take a little bit more time and energy to say like, okay, like how can we figure out how to be together? Yeah. Like n- never mind trying to get on the same page. Like how can we just be together in space? Like that is so powerful and, and important. And if we can do that, then, you know, we can really do anything. And so many of our problems are just about not being able to be together. Mm-hmm. You know, so that like sharing of space, feeling together, being together is really important to me. Um, and also fuck the police. I mean, yeah, all, like all, side note, fuck the cops, you know, it's uh... <laughs> but not the individual, like obviously not those individual cops. It's just the the power dynamic of putting on that uniform. And, you know, yeah. it's like like the structure of the police, not officer jim who lives next door who's a yeah. nice guy he makes pumpkin pie every year Shovels the he's snow a good off dude of my you know driveway thank you but like you know you know what i'm saying like yeah. i just don't agree with that state-funded violence okay and this comes from like just coming up i don't I'm, do you think you would also be thinking this way if you didn't come up in such a uh a, a type of culture that would name give the middle name moonbeam to someone um i don't know if hippie is a derogatory term or not 
Um, I just don't relate with that tone. Sure, sure. I don't, th- I don't feel any type of way about it. Because when you say festivals, I also don't know. Because I didn't know originally if that meant Burning Man or music festivals or what. We don't have Burning sure. Man in England, and Burning Man is also there's also just this commodification. I think a lot of it comes from you know being spoken to about big issues from a young age. Like mm. my mom, um, as somebody who's Indian was raised as some, uh, was raised as somebody who was not, who was white. Mm. Um, and so seeing that and hearing about her experiences of racism and, you know, not experiencing that myself, but growing up in a rural place with a lot of whiteness mm-hmm. um, and really feeling angry about, you know, comments that kids would make, not even about my mom, but just in general that were racist and, um, and really becoming more and more aware of whiteness as, as a construct, as something that it's like this thing that we protect Mm -hmm. in these violent ways, you know, like so much violence is enacted in in the name of whiteness and the name of patriarchy. Um, and also just, just, just rapidly wanting to be with people like when you want to be with people whatever's in the way you really need to destroy that mm. and and if that's part of what you thought was you you can like you can destroy that too because if you care more about being with people than you do these things that you thought were you but maybe are in the way of the most high potential of you you want to destroy them you mm. want to face them like i think what people don't understand it or maybe like are afraid to understand or don't have the 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 emotional like support or tools or whatever to understand is that this is not work that feels bad. It feels good. It just feels hard and you have to be brave. Sure. Sure. Tell me more about the the work itself, like being a mm-hmm. doula. I don't, I think a lot of us know the doula as like a character on a TV show. Mm-hmm. Like we are uh, familiar that it exists. We kind of, mm-hmm. we could give a log line pitch, mm-hmm. but we don't really know like what kind of goes into it, like the nitty gritty of it. Yeah. So, um, I would, I, when I arrived at your house, I was like, you came down and I, you're like saying something to yourself and then you turned around and you saw me in your house <laughs> and you were like, oh, and I was like, yeah, I professionally come into homes <laughs> and I'd already spoken to the people working on the house and knew, you know, the whole backstory. And that's kind of, a doula is somebody who emotionally spiritually and physically supports a family um or an individual who um are having a reproductive health transformation so it can also be somebody transitioning it could be somebody having an abortion so it's not just a birth thing because I, I think that's what we all i think for the most i'll speak on behalf of fucking everybody uh i believe we all think like the classic. doula's the yeah classic oh right my God, look guys it's a cis man speaking on behalf of everybody hi everyone thank you very much innovation uh, happy to be here thanks uh <laughs> thanks for having me uh i think we we picture the woman in the bathtub with someone bringing a new life into mm-hmm. the world i had no idea it had anything to do with tra- uh transitioning or that it could have to do with like dealing with abortions mm-hmm. or anything it's, it's any it's any is any transition basically like and what yeah so it day to day it's like i might be doing home visits and um checking somebody's latch for breastfeeding mm-hmm. um i might be a latch like, like for for a baby getting onto a nipple to oh, be okay, able to okay. feed um breastfeeding is something that you have to learn it's not just this like oh the baby's on everyone's happy it's like it's you have to go into the underworld and come back with your baby. Okay. Like that's really what you have to do to be a parent in a lot of ways. Um, so, you know, then I'm also checking on people's mental health and sometimes I'm bringing in, you know, another party. I might be bringing in different services or resources mm-hmm. depending on what I'm seeing in the home. Um, 
I might be teaching people how to uh, wear their twins. I might be, um, you know, checking on somebody in the community who's just had an abortion and maybe needs some herbs or needs, you know, some like just some care. Um, like just a hug. Yeah, yeah sometimes. Totally, totally. Okay. And somebody who's not going to be like, oh, but but don't you think this? Or like, why did you, you know, not somebody who's, somebody who's actually like, done some work on themselves to be near people mm -hmm. that's on honestly a, a lot of it is just that um i think you really have to be aware that it, this job is not and will never be about me mm -hmm. um so yeah and then sometimes i'm always on call um i also get up in the middle of the night and feed people's preemies so they can sleep um so i'll go to people's houses sometimes and do that um i'll go and be with a friend whose you know family member is dying i'll go and be with an old client who's sick and needs somebody to take care of their kids like it's really someone part anything. of the family like yeah. you become part of the family for the process i for mean is, there, is there, yeah because it doesn't sound like the way you describe it it doesn't sound like there's really this like end date of like well the baby's out and i'm gonna hang out with you for a couple of weeks to like help everything get settled uh it sounds like it's just until they cut you off until they feel like would you say it's until they feel ready and properly prepared to like do this thing um, I would say that it depends on the family or the individual, like what feels comfortable. Because sometimes it just transitions into this friendship where I'm like, I saw you give birth. Sometimes I go back and do the second baby or the third yeah. baby. Um, but at some point you stop paying like your friend. Like at some point, like, you know, there's a... You know, that's interesting. So if I'm doing something like babysitting for them, people always pay me because they value me so much. And then sometimes I just want to show up because I'm their friend, sure. you know, and that really, I think the people who have the longest relationships are the ones who understand that. And some people could never paid me in the beginning. This is not something I always do for money. Uh -huh. um, I charge some people and some people can't pay, but really, really need the services. And it's, and it's the same. It doesn't, it's always an energy exchange. It's always, I really, I don't really love the word energy, but it's always like, it's, there's always reciprocity. Energy comes with a lot of baggage. If your male name is Moonbeam, you're like, ah, yeah, yeah. everything I said, people are just waiting to confirm that that's my name, you know? So they're waiting for me to be uh -huh. like, guys, um, love and light. <laughs> And I'm just not here for it. Yeah. Um, I'm only here just to like, uh, to like <laughs> let you inform people and then every while try to make someone giggle. <laughs> so it's like, I don't need to confirm or anything. I'm just like, let me get like a line in every here or there. Um, yeah. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> Classic. Classic. Um, well, you know, that's just all I do. Look, <laughs> I, I come on this show always like, look, I'm an idiot. Don't think I'm an expert. When someone tries to quote me like in an article, I'm like, I'm very specific. Like, don't you dare say like sex expert Billy Priscilla. No, not me. Just comedian with a fuck show. Y'all are the experts. Like they should be listening more to you people. That's why you have us on here. So there's not really an end point. It's mm -hmm. an evolution of a relationship. And that's, I mean, I think in many ways, um, doula work has been likened to sex work in the way that you're with somebody during, um, you have the highest amount of love hormone in your system that you're ever going to have when you give birth. And you mm -hmm. look over and here's this person that just helps you give birth. And so there is that aspect of it where you're constantly saying goodbye to people that you've had like this really intimate on many levels. It's physically intimate. It's chemically hormonally intimate. Mm -hmm. um, and there's, there's all the, I mean, also I'm, I'm touching people. I'm not like, you know, it's all, it's consensual yeah. and it's planned and things like that. But 
I'm, I'm, you know, I'm seeing them naked. Like it, it has been likened to that in some ways, not in the way that you would think of it's not literal, but just in terms of like the emotional part of it and the fact that you're having these intimate moments and then you're just like, okay, goodbye. Um, and for me, it's, it's really person to person, but that's about the fact that I feel confident in holding my boundaries. And some people need to have their paperwork that says like, this is the point where our relationship ends. Mm -hmm. And that's totally also completely valid. And I want to affirm that I think it's down to the individual and each, you know, some clients I am like, you know what, this is actually a lot more emotional labor than I can do. Mm. Like you would with friends. Yeah. You know, like some, you know, some friends you're like, I can really only have this much of this person and I love them, but this is that to be my best me with this person, this is, these are the limitations of, of, the time that we spend together or the way in which our friendship looks for me to be able to offer my best self. Especially if it's something like I've heard you like complain about this guy five, 10 times. Like you already know where I stand on the thing. I have like, I can give you a 10 minute phone call, but I got a whole bunch of stuff I got to deal with. Yeah. I can, but this seems like very fulfilling work for you. Like I, I can't imagine you'd be doing this if you didn't fucking like, but is there such thing as like unfulfilling doula work for you? Like, is there, Yeah. have you ever just finished up and be like, yeah, I got nothing. I didn't. that wasn't, uh, um, you ever go meh after a doula relationship with someone? No, it literally, um, I can go to a completely, I can, I can exist in this, in the brainwave state of, of knowing, like mm-hmm. absolute certainty of knowing, um, when I go to births, it's like being on drugs. Like I can, I really can like travel in through like space and time, mm. um, because you go, because they go to a different brainwave state in order to push their baby out. Like you start knowing how to travel with them, um, and you start recognizing that state. So like I can go into it. Um, I can sometimes go into it during sex, or for me because I'm such a verbally stimulated person, I can go into it through conversation. So mm. that's like like conversation for me is so important. It's like one of yeah. my main ways of learning, um, and like and really being with people and connecting with them, but. It can be unfulfilling in the sense that sometimes when you have to charge money for the thing that you love, which I think every everybody who is maybe creative or doing something that they was always their passion might have this kind of relationship with it where um, sometimes it can feel objectifying to be doing this for somebody who, you know, just kind of found you and it wasn't like through um, a really close friend they and they're not like you. a family. I don't have any you online. Have it's all like, it's all referrals, but sometimes the referral is like, so many steps removed that you're kind of, you know, you're with somebody who's like, and maybe their ex- expectations are that you are, you are going to push the baby out for them. They mm. don't know that that's their expectation, but they really think that you're going to be able to provide a certain experience, which really they, it's up to them ultimately. Like, I'm not going to get in there and push your baby out for you. It's, I'm not going to just, you know, squeeze you like a tube of toothpaste and your baby's going to pop out. Like that's, I'm, I support you hundred percent. I always, you know, I want you to win however that looks for you, but I'm not going to do your work for you. I'm not going to do anyone's work for them. It doesn't mm-hmm. feel good to have your work done for you. So yeah, the, it's not like a meh. It's just to like, oh, that's what that relationship was. And yeah. sometimes it does feel objectifying. If you're being paid to do something that's so intimate for money, like that is objectifying sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have to walk that line. And for me, um, you know, I'm very clear about what my rates are based on. I, I, I factor in emotional labor into what I talk. You got to with that with your gig. Oh Jesus, that's uh, how. Like, do you, I gotta imagine there's sometimes you maybe go home and like you're gonna have a cry just because of how beautiful or hard or difficult. Time. Yeah, it's every time. And it, it, the thing is, I and also I see a lot of violence. The field of obstetrics 
was really created in a very violent way and we have never addressed that and i'm assuming secondhand violence like you're not witnessing the violence but you're seeing like the after effects no no? i'm seeing i'm seeing full-on obstetrical violence to the point where people will sue their doctors really the state of maternity care and if you love somebody who can give birth it's really important that you look into this um but obstetrical violence is a really real phenomenon Mm -hmm. uh in the same way that sexual of course it's misogyny and it's racism, and it's happening on people's bodies. Can you explain more what uh, I'm going to say it wrong? Obstetric violence, or mm-hmm. okay, cool. Remember, fake smart person, idiot. Okay, uh, what that is? Because when I, when mm-hmm. you say that, I imagine I'm just jumping straight to like sexual assault. Like I'm a, I'm picturing like is, yeah. okay, so it's just that. Okay, um, it's not just that, but basically what it is is not that, to minimize. It's more like yeah. that. I'm just getting like the picture in my head. Yeah. So obstetrical violence is non-consensual cutting touching and and you have to imagine like so just to give you a little background marion j sims is credited with being the founding father of gynecology mary marion j sims i'm gonna i'll i'll link this afterwards and marion j sims uh created a lot of the techniques that we use today in gynecology by experimenting without anesthesia on slaves so that is the founding story. That is the birth story mm. of obstetrics and gynecology. We have never addressed that. There are statues in New York. There is a statue in Harlem of Marion J. Sims crediting this person, right? Like, assume not a black woman, right? I'm no, assuming white man. It. Oh, Mary. Oh, Mary. Oh, who names their man Marion? Not to just gender things, but come on, Marion in the 1700s or 1800s. Come on, who's that's a terrible name. Yeah. In in, in the middle a of Harlem. Person, very terrible name. And it's so very, very, um, very triggering. Sure. Right? So so that has never changed. But is that not freaky? In- not to sorry to interrupt you, but like is that not freaky that like it should be triggering, but a lot of people aren't because they have no fucking idea? Is- yes, that's my whole yeah. job is to talk to people about that and to bring the these conversations into daily life. Mm-hmm. So right now in America. Black women and their children, their babies, die four times more likely now. That's the national average than white women and their their babies in the first year of life. In New York City, it is 12 times more likely that a black woman will die than a white woman during childbirth or during the first year of their baby's life and their Mm -hmm. baby. So we look at those figures and we think like, wow, that is crazy. Why are we not talking about this all the time? People are dying. And what is interesting not even interesting what to me like is so intense about that is that these are preventable deaths Mm. these are not deaths that need to be happening the same thing with you know deaths that happen due to hormonal birth control blood clots due to hormonal birth control preventable deaths so actually what's happening there is just racism Mm. it's racism because no one cares about those those deaths well because if if like white women were dying 12 times more they probably get on it type of thing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, they would. And then there's all this violence that happens, you know, like I know hospitals in this city that will say like, oh, the people that come in on Medicaid, like you can try, like here's a resident who hasn't done this specific procedure. Let's do it on this person, even though they don't need it. Birth is a business and and there is so much out there if you want to start looking into it. And the reason that everybody needs to pay attention to this is that birth is a place in which we cre- we set the stage for all types of gendered and sexual violence. Mm-hmm. It is literally the blueprint 
for gendered and sexual violence. So when we ignore this one part of life that, and we, and we center it at the margins of society and we don't center it really directly in the middle and say the issues around birth, you know, affecting birthing people, affecting, uh, people who identify as women, affecting mm-hmm. people who identify as, as trans, like all these, all these people who, you know, in many ways in society are marginalized. If we don't center that, then we, we're not really able to give it the attention and change those outcomes as we need to. And a lot of those deaths too are due to stress from racism. That's how much it affects your fetus mm-hmm. is that like literally the stress of day to day racism are so profound that they affect the health of a fetus. Mm-hmm. You know, that's where when, you know, I, I recently had a conversation with somebody um, where they had a Confederate flag outside their house, left a note for them and they Here? called me. No, this was in Michigan. Okay. Um, they called me. There's actually one on this street that we're on right now. Uh, yeah, like further north, yeah. like by the like on your way to the L. Yeah, I saw a couple of years ago playing Pokemon Go. It was very weird. There was a dodo outside. I took a picture of dodo. I saw a Confederate flag. I was like, I don't want that Pokemon. That's not a ra- that's a racist Pokemon right there. Yeah, it's a racist Pokemon. So yeah. yeah, so the effects of seeing that, the effects of this statue of this yeah. super racist monster, um, in Harlem sure. of all places, like the effects of that are so great because they represent so much. It's like if you would walk around and you would see like your rapist a statue of your rapist or like a you know a flag represent all the time mm-hmm. you know and that has we there is so much evidence to uh, to suggest that your trauma af- really negatively affects your health of course mm-hmm. it does of course it does and so you know like i said i had this conversation with somebody i left them a note um myself and, and kelsey the the co-founder of the fifth vital sign we left this note we were driving and we we saw this flag and we were just like no like this is not happening. Mm-hmm. And so we left this note for this guy and um, he called me a few weeks later and he was like, I want to talk about the flag, um, why you left the note there. Wow. And, um, you know, I, I saw, I knew it was him because it was a very specific number and a very specific like place, small place in Michigan. And so I got out of the cab I was in and I, and I brought all of my energy into my heart. This is where it gets really moonbeam. And I was like, I love this person. I'm going to be, I'm going to wish them well. I'm going to assume that they are empathic and intelligent. And I answered the phone and I was like, hi. And, you know, he told me why he was calling. And I was like, thank you. First of all, thank you so much for entering into this conversation. I'm really grateful for you for showing up for mm-hmm. this. And then we proceeded to have this conversation in which, of course, he threw all this Trump rhetoric at me. And I threw back all this stuff that he probably sees as rhetoric. And, you know, of course. Um, and like you and I see as like objective fact. I see it as <laughs> it's logic, like, you know, and reason and, and fact. Yeah. And so, um, you know, and then, and then at the, I, I mentioned to him like, Hey, you know, if you're not gonna, if you're not gonna, um, if you're not going to stand outside your house and say, I'm not a racist, then the flag that you have, that you have outside your house says I'm a racist. And I said, you know, I really understand what it means to have a symbol that you have a really a lot of feeling about be appropriated for hate. I wanted to get a tattoo last year. Hadn't seen my brother for two years. I wanted to get this tattoo. It was a big part of our childhood. It was this Celtic rune. And when uh, when I went to get the tattoo, just before I got this tattoo, I I was like, maybe this is racist because everything's racist. And I looked it up and the same symbol as Celtic rune had been used by the Nazis. So, of course, they didn't get the tattoo. There's, and I there's a lot of it. things like that. Yeah. And so, you know, I said I said that and I was like, it was just after Charlottesville. So I was like, you know, do you want, are you co-signing that? Like, do you want to be associated what, with those yeah, guys? Is that what you want people to think yeah. when they when they pass your house? And And then I said, and listen, I'm in New York City right now black women here die 12 times more likely than white women and a large part of that is the stress due to racism and a lot of it is 
is the co-signing of racism that then, you know, shows up in the hands of those doctors who are not taking their concerns seriously, who are experimenting on them, who are enacting violence on them and not even seeing that that's a problem. Do you want to co-sign that too? And he was like, no, I need to go give my kids dinner, but I'll take the flag down. Amazing. So like, you know, we, we had this conversation that was very, and really, I guess I want to say to, to white people that it's, you really want to push away all the, all the people that you see out there as not like you and not representative of you. But what I want to say is that those are our uncles, grandfathers, fathers, cousins, aunts, those people are our problem. And so if we can find a way to love them in a way that they can get off that train, if there's any way that they can, then that is our job. It is because I'm not going to ask a person of color to do that. I'm not going to ask a trans person to go and try and talk to some like white feminist tough about like why trans women are women. I'm not going to do that. We do each, we do the work. Like I said, if, if I really am an abolitionist, I'm willing to do that work to make it easier for us to be here together. But that looks like taking responsibility for, it's like, this is not the the person you wanted, but the, you got the person you deserved. Mm. Like, I got, the, you know, he's like me. Yeah. I'm white, he's white. Like, you know, I might not want to hang out with him and have him over for dinner, but he is ultimately my problem. If I say he's not, he's someone else's problem, dude. That's not mm. okay. And you approached it with giving him, like, the a modicum of benefit of the doubt to be like, maybe I can reach him. And, like, and obviously, like, not everyone is going to be, like, this guy who was able to listen to you some of them are going to be just shit bags you're like okay you come like i said like they're gonna die out like some of them are lost causes but like you approach it with this empathy which is like really fucking hard to do like it's hard for me to do and life's supposed to be quite easy for me like i was like i gotta imagine like there's like an extra level of furiousness on your end and it's like yeah you have to collect yourself outside be like hey moonbeam we're gonna fucking go full energy right now because like uh otherwise because otherwise what we do is we just fucking yell at each other on facebook and like totally. what and the fuck does that, that do i love doing that i'm so good at. i will literally <sighs> be like tag me in. put me in coach put me in i love doing that i'm ready i'm ready i'm ready oh. all the time i have so many big words that i'm gonna throw out but it's not gonna get me anywhere mm-hmm. and ultimately it just gets you worked up and more upset yeah and i don't know that that's even my rage to feel like if i'm not really experiencing directly racism i'm not i'm experiencing directly misogyny Right. So like that, I am allowed to feel angry about that. But if I'm just going to enact rage that isn't even really my direct rage onto somebody who's not going to enact it back on me potentially, but might enact it onto an African-American person or might enact, you know, like I might rile him up and send him out there to do his damage to somebody else. Mm -hmm. That's not okay. It's not my rage to be discharging on somebody. For sure. It is okay to be angry. I don't want that to be misunderstood. It's okay to feel your feelings, but if I'm going to play this, I'm I really want to win. Like I really I really want it to be easier for us and my MO is is not to to just blindly be raging at people. It's it's really to find ways to be together and sometimes you got to and that's what being a doula is in that room. It's it's really like there are some harmful things that happen in obstetrics and you can't I can't make somebody angry if they're going to touch my client's vagina. Mm-hmm. I can't like, so I have to find ways to absorb some of that or like maneuver myself within that room in a way that mitigates things that don't need to happen um, and works with my client, never speaking on behalf of them, never like speaking over them, but really just kind of refocusing back onto them, 
giving the consent for whatever it is that's happening and things not just kind of slipping under the radar or like, oh, suddenly your hand is there or suddenly the scissors are out. And really just making sure that those decisions are, that the like focus is happening in the way that you might be like, um, did I say you could put your hand on my boob? No. Right. You know, during sex, there's like yeah. a lot of parallels. Absolutely. So tell me more about your work with like the fifth vital sign. You also do a lot of like, uh, I, I call it like, you know, <laughs> oh man, uh, you'll hate me. I was like, right. I was just trying to like recap like your things when I was prepping. So I was like doula, educator, period person. Okay. I'm ready for this episode. Um, mm-hmm. but you do like a lot of like menstrual education. I feel like you would rather call it. Mm-hmm. What, what's something that you would say like adult women? Cause I, I'm, it's safe to say. Children, for the most part, Adults. don't know shit because we don't teach them shit. Except everything for... you're saying is bad. Me? <laughs> <laughs> you're just like adult women. I'm like adult people. Sorry, children don't sorry. know shit. Children you're know right. everything. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, children like because we don't teach them things. Yeah. Because uh, we don't send them up. They have for... less access than we right. do. Right. Less access. Better yeah. way of saying it. Um. But so yeah, adult people who get periods. Mm-hmm. What would you think? Menstruators. They... Menstruators. Ah, oh, that's even easier. That's a lot easier to say. I support all menstruators. Oh, it's a great sticker. Okay, I like that. Um, <laughs> y'all's Instagram, by the way. Off the, cause, so we meet. I look you up on Instagram. I'm like, oh, fuck. I like, this is a good Instagram feed. Like, I'm, I'm into this. Uh, a lot of good memes, a lot of good stuff going <laughs> on there. Uh, and I hate Instagram. Fucking hate it. <laughs> I was like, oh, I could, I could go through this for a while. We're converting. Yeah. It's converting. <laughs> but what would you say, like, most menstruators who are adults, like, don't know about their menstruation? Yeah. So I think what has happened is that, I always think of it like this. The best way to oppress somebody is to separate them from themselves. Mm -hmm. So what has happened is that people don't have knowledge of what their bodies are actually doing. So that leaves a space in which fear can inhabit. And so um, what happens is that, you know, you may know when you, you know, when you're menstruating, there's blood there. Okay, cool. Blood is the biggest siren. You know, like we see mm-hmm. it. Like that's, that's real. That was a quote from Dominique Christina's period poem that people need to watch. Um, but what we don't know is like when we ovulate, we might not know when we ovulate and like what that, how our body communicates that. We might not know about cervical fluid and what's healthy and what's not healthy, which is a really big part of sexual health. Allow me to be dumb, man. What on earth are the difference between those three things? Yeah. So um, so the menstrual cycle has four phases. It has um, menses when the endometrium is shedding. It has the follicular phase when a follicle is um, growing and developing in the over- ovaries. Um, and it has uh, ovulation when an, when an egg is being released. Um, and there's the potential for fertilization. Mm. Um, and then it has the luteal phase, which is when that egg is like, um, kind of decayed and when um, when the the empty follicle becomes a, a temporary endocrine gland um, raises our body temperature and um, the the lining is building back up to shed again for the next cycle so there is so much that happens in terms of hormones in terms of mood shifts in terms of like your cervix moves up and down um, if you if your cervix is low in the vagina um, during uh, an arousal response during like foreplay, which yeah. I'm, I'm hope everyone's doing, um, the uterus. <laughs> if you listen to this show, you better be doing some fucking better foreplay. Be doing foreplay. <laughs> um, the uterus literally needs to m- move the cervix mm. out of the way to make space if you're going to have penetrative sex in whatever way that you do or don't do that, mm. and that takes some time. So it's like when I teach this class, I'm like, this is a physiological reason for foreplay, y'all. Like, let's just get that out of the way and then like you know thinking about like 
why do people enjoy period sex? Like there's so much more lubrication there. Um, you know, many people experience in the way that they experience their emotions based on their hormones. It's so much more intimate. So it can be really affirming. It can also be like really triggering of dys- dysphoria. If you, um, have a relationship with your body that just dis- that triggers your gender dysphoria during mm-hmm. that time. So just understanding that there's, there's, there's the potential to be four different people okay. during that time. Or if you're, if you're not menstruating or ovulating, maybe you're, um, using, uh, maybe you've transitioned. So, you, uh, at a certain point taking tea, you will stop, um, menstruating. Your clitoris, like, change completely changes. Like, it's bigger. Um, there's like all sorts of cool things that happen. But if you don't understand hormones, um, and have that support, then, you know, that could be, there, there could be lots of unexpected questions and very few places in which you feel you can ask them and be affirmed and not feel like maybe this, maybe my hormones are going to be taken away if I bring this up. Mm-hmm. Maybe, um, you know, all of these different things. So it's really just about, you know, talking to people about what's happening and then what happens when, when you introduce something that's going to interact with your menstrual cycle. Mm-hmm. So for example, um, if you're going to be taking certain forms of birth control, how do they affect you? We know that the, the, effects of taking birth control are not localized mm. it's like if you're taking the hormonal birth control pill you might feel mental health effects you might um and these these effects might be some of them might be the reason you're on birth control right like um you might take it for acne or um to decrease uh bleeding or whatever it is or you know they might be undesired effects and i've worked with both and and different birth controls affect different people different ways, which kind of goes yeah. back to our original thing about normal. Like, is it normal that this birth control is doing this to me? It's like it doesn't don't something about normal. Like, let's just talk about how it's affecting you, because then and maybe you need a different experiences. thing. Experiences. Mm-hmm. What's your desire? What makes you feel the most comfortable? We so often normalize pain as part of the menstrual cycle, and pain. This is something that Nicole Jardem says. Just because something is perhaps statistically normal doesn't mean that it's physiologically normal. There's so many people to put in the show notes on this. I'm very excited. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of cool people. And this and this stuff is, you know, for me, it's like you don't divorce talking about bodies with talking about sex. Like mm-hmm. these things are about pleasure. It's just that sometimes this is like the stuff that people want to talk about less because it may be less sexy. For me, it's sexy, but, you know, it's it's so really Yeah, let me, let's talk about that period sex. Yeah, I, yeah, we're doing a period sex workshop at Babeland in March. Uh-huh. I'm really excited about it. Here, um, here in New York. Yeah, okay. I love period sex is my favorite sex. Yeah, wh- um, do tell why. Um, I think it's I have the ability to be the most connected to the other person in that time, and it's also for me a reclamation of um of a part of my life in which for generations we have been shamed for, and so f- to be able to invite somebody into that experience with me and not feel like I'm being a problem is really uh is is really important. I don't think that's not, and that's not how everybody feels, but also like there's more lubrication. It does, you do have more sensations. I feel like I want to have sex more during that time, but Mm -hmm. always, you know, with certain partners, it felt like, oh, like that's not something they're into. And now I'm just like, listen, this is the kind of sex I like having. So do you have any towels? But but now what? (laughs) I'll bring my own. And now what if you have guys who are like, or people who are just not into, uh, period sex like do you and I'm not, not gonna make them have period sex with me oh no that, yeah, that was what I was gonna ask yeah yeah I'm not I'm not gonna make them it's just really exciting when someone does want to do that sure. and it's also you know we are at a stage where something that's completely normal that happens you know to to so many people in this world has been so um stigmatized that it it really is 
it, it is almost a surprise when somebody is into it or doesn't mm-hmm. shame you for it. And that's really sad. No. You know, like, I don't want to feel like that. If I was, like, shocked every time somebody came, which, by the way, is also <laughs> messy. Um, uh, you know, if if we talked about sperm the way we talk about cervical fluid or don't talk about cervical mm-hmm. fluid, things would be different. I'm just wondering why we don't talk about cervical fluid. You know, like, cervical fluid, if we didn't have cervical fluid, this is different to menstrual fluid. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I like how you saw the confusion on my face, but, like, huh? <laughs> so, Wait. cervical fluid is also something that we talk about a lot. Cervical fluid is... You know, if you if you take someone's <laughs> underwear off, you would see it in the underwear. It's like the white. Oh, like that, like stuff. that kind of yeah, that the excitement. Discharge. Yeah, discharge. It's not arousal fluid. Not arousal. Okay, Billy, that's uh, that's a rude awakening for me just now. <laughs> oh yeah, we're we're really gonna get into this vaginas. That's, yeah, um, let's get into the vaginas. That's what we do here. We uh, <laughs> we talk about them. So, um, cervical fluid is present pretty much every day of somebody's cycle, mm-hmm. um, and cervical fluid changes in ph and the role of cervical fluid is actually to keep sperm alive for up to five days so that it can wait for an egg to be released um so that's its role in terms of like reproduction um but it also like you know keep it keeps the vagina healthy um and and you can tell like your microbiome um so like the good bacteria in the vagina has to be really balanced if you have a really balanced microbiome then it can like fight off hpv certain strains of hpv it's really important to have like good health down there um and so cervical fluid changes every day like sometimes it'll be watery sometimes it will be drier like you might have less of it and um there's the cervical fluid that is kind of clear and it's like egg white and it stretches if you take it out and put it on your fingers it would stretch yeah between your fingers there's definitely a guy with that fetish yeah we know oh, for sure. there's seven dudes out there somewhere who are just like mm, i'm into just the cervical fluid but only when it gets very egg whitey that's my yeah. that's why i prefer to if have someone's <laughs> fetish is fertility signs and like cervical fluid and period sex my phone number is in the show notes. <laughs> okay <laughs> um <laughs> Um, you have to be in New York or get yourself to New York or Detroit. It's it it interesting because you're saying like you don't mind if a person doesn't want to have sex with you when you're on your period. You're like, that's cool. I'll call you when it's over. But there are some people I, – I have friends who are like, oh, if this dude – I mean these are typically – I've got some straight women friends who go, that dude's not going to like fuck me on my period. Like he's just out. Like he's out of the rotation. Um, he's done. But Okay. Maybe or they're done. what I meant by that. I'm, what I meant was I'm not – annoyed if somebody doesn't want to have sex with me during my period obviously i'm i don't i never want to have sex with someone if they don't want to have sex with me naturally yeah like not naturally because that because uh, there are an overwhelming (laughs) amount of people who have tried to have sex with me when i've been like no my friend and they will still try so it i meant naturally for you the way you've been speaking for the last like 45 minutes is like a person who probably who probably would hate to assume, but probably also likes it when people want to have sex with them. Yeah. Every, who doesn't? <laughs> yeah. Everything that we do in life is really subtly just trying to get us into a place where we can have sex with a person. Yeah. I don't Literally even... every decision we make, like, I'm like, mm, this and this and this, and that leads to sex. It's just a flow chart. And at the bottom, it's sex. sex. That's always the and thing. And it's all, like, like, don't even front. That's what your life is. It's every always the thing. Person. Yeah. That's I'm, what we're here for. Yeah. And it's not even about <laughs> to just, like, get someone to agree with the sex, but wanting them to, like, uh, want the sex mm-hmm. like i don't like it when someone's like agreeing that like i uh i was at a sex party on saturday and i had like a really cute date who i i mean in my self-deprecating way would say is way more attractive than i am uh and you know there's going to be people who are going to approach us and like they're going to want to have sex with her and sometimes they might my fear at least my personal fear is like they're go- not that they're not going to want to sex with me but like they're gonna want they're gonna have sex with me 
in order to have sex with her. Mm-hmm. And like, that's not fun either. Like you want the desire, not just the reciprocity. Yeah. Everybody wants reciprocity. Yeah. Hopefully. Um, so yeah, so it's, it's not that I just, I wouldn't want to have like a long term relationship or like long term, like I don't really have that, but w- like, I wouldn't want to continually have sex with somebody who didn't affirm a part of my life. That's really important as part of my identity. Mm. I wouldn't expect somebody to do that for me. So what I was saying, I guess is just that I wouldn't be like, I'm on my period. You have to, and then be like, mm, I don't really feel comfortable, but it's some, I mean, as foreplay, I play Dominique Christina's period poem. Like I make people watch slam poetry before I feel that they are qualified to touch my vagina. So you know, it's a it, prerequisite. It's yeah, like there is a lot of of co- I'm like of conversation and like yeah. exchanging of stories that happens for me mm-hmm. as part of intimacy. So yeah. you know, I can't imagine somebody touching my vagina and not really knowing that like shit will get really real and that like you know that's something that I think is important. So if they'd gotten to that stage and I was just finding out, like, I don't think that would really happen uh-huh. for me. Cause I put a lot of stuff in place. Cause it's intentional. I have a whole, like you put them through an obstacle course up for sex uh, dur- like yeah. w- during my period. Like it's something that I, I center my pleasure in that. And I try to invite people to do the same in the way that I'm going to center their pleasure. So, um, and I'm not going to pretend my body doesn't bleed cause it does. Yeah. Yeah. Did you see an article that came out quite recently? It was something along the lines of like the 10, like it was like a, almost like a checklist of things uh, of like for intersexual feminism. If you're going to like date or fuck somebody, I don't know if you, did you happen to see this recently? And a lot of stuff, it was like stuff like asking them, like, do you believe black lives matter? Like there was something about Palestine that like, I don't understand. Cause that's one of the few issues I'm like, ugh, you I gotta, gotta get on it. I'm working on it. It's just, I got like 50 other social things that are like more local to hear that mm-hmm. are in front for me. So, uh, so yeah. Um, but it had a whole bunch of things on it. Like, do you ha- like what is what are your prerequisites to, I guess, dating someone long term or to like just Let's fucking somebody? Let's read my or? Tinder bio. I oh, this is fantastic. All right. So, are um, you now while you're bringing it up, what dating apps are you on? Is it just Tinder um, or? I'm just on Tinder. I'm actually. I really, if there are any software developers out there, I'd re- I have a lot of ideas for my own dating app. So that's something I'm looking for collaborators on. Okay. Um. So my tinder profile says so here's the story from a to z you want to get with me you got to dismantle white supremacy i'm 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 dancing with the beat of her tinder bio but then there was a oh that's what it is i thought you were just doing your own british oh right and um and i want to dismantle white supremacy (laughs) and then it says this is a brave moment listen and lean into it do the thing that when future generations ask you where you were you can describe with pride hashtag radical vulnerability at Emily Moonbeam, no burners, works at the fifth vital sign. So now what if they are not familiar with Spice Girls? Is that also a prerequisite? They just need to be familiar with white supremacy and okay. dismantling it. It was just a cute way to say, like, do not bring your racism to my vagina. Sure. Um, and that has sparked a lot of really great conversation. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed um I'm very intentional about bringing my whole self to my dating profiles because I, if somebody like is not really down to have those vulnerable conversations, I can't really fuck them. Yeah. I can't. Um, and I want, and, and really for me, like, I feel like I could t- do like a PhD on Tinder because <laughs> I've just been using it for so long. I've used it for so many different things. Um, I've had so many collaborations out of it. Like, um, you know, I had somebody, um, I've had like, yeah, I've had people do so many cool things with me 
who I've met through Tinder and had so many great conversations. And I think it's really important to be able to bring these conversations about justice into intimacy. Intimacy intimacy is not a place that we placate each other and it's not a place that we hide from our big issues as a people, as like, as a society, as a world, uh, as human beings. It's actually a place where we, we find ways to be tender in speaking about justice, in seeking liberation for all people. Are these conversations, guys who, or people, sorry, are these conversations people who just don't so it's just when i think tinder i just always think just straight up that uh at least the people who are like disagreeing like i i can't imagine like you're finding like other like like you're finding like queer women of color who are like disagreeing with like your tinder bio but are are these conversations you're talking about people who just don't get it or they're just trying to understand or they're people who want to argue because i hear about people who want to argue all things but actually what i'm finding is people are being really tender okay. and vulnerable and um, and connecting and say, and feeling seen in some ways. Um, and I'm feeling seen and it's pretty amazing. And I'm really looking for more spaces that are part of our current language and how we relate with each other, you know, in terms of apps, in terms of online spaces that make space for tenderness, vulnerability, and, um, connecting around big issues in a way that helps us to really look at power and disarm power because we if we are not doing that we're enacting power on each other that's not consensual like there is power play that's consensual mm-hmm. and wanted and fun and then there's power play that that's oppressive and i think having these being very clear about what it is that you are there for and what your big issues are and who you are as a person you know like there's so many people out there who would be like well that's going to make you less cute and less sexy and i would say to them fuck you but also, like, you know, you don't need to hide those parts of yourself um, to connect with people. And, you know, so often that my my pro- for many years, my profile was like very curated and, you know, didn't say that much. But I've really found that it's a good platform for speaking to people because I honestly and and for after Me Too, I had like hashtag Me Too um, or after, you know, Tarana Bucks, Me Too was um, started to come into the media again Um which yay time mm. magazine tarana book amazing person i'm sure everybody knows about tarana book but i'm just gonna shout her out because wow amazing um but i you know i said like me too and and if you're not like and tell me some ways that we're gonna take down rape culture together mm. and people told me some ways and they also and people you know said me too and told me their stories and storytelling doesn't have one arena this is a place where everybody is showing up to tinder it's free you know unless you're gonna do the like subscription things but it's free it's 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 fairly accessible um we got to find ways to reach each other so yeah i'm really like that's something i'm definitely looking to do is to develop an app that that focuses more around the positives that i've gotten from tinder um and and people that i know like what their needs are yeah from dating and what's sexier than being like, hey, we like how are we gonna change the world together? Yeah. What a concept, right? Totally. Um before we before we go, there's one other thing that it was one of the few things was like, oh, I know this is a thing we agree on. Uh it was one of the, when we were in that coffee shop, I was like, it's one of the few things of like I feel like put on the <laughs> same wavelength. Yeah, and I was <laughs> I was just like, I wanna ask her to be on the show, but I have to let her know like how self aware of like what I look like. What 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 I what I say? I said like the face of privilege. You and emailed co- me saying the face of privilege in a Bushwick coffee shop, and I was like, this is literally the reason I'm saying yes to this because otherwise, <laughs> you it would be some shit. Yeah. <laughs> what can we? What kind of shit? 
I mean, I just would have been like, okay, next. Next now? You wouldn't, you wouldn't want to go on to like talk to someone you like just disagree with. It's not about the disagreeing. Mm-hmm. It's about um, the level that that person, like I'm, I have a limited amount of time and energy of and I'm not going to spend it on, on somebody who's not willing to like, at least kind of like be a little bit self-aware, you yeah. know, like I'm, I'm also like, I'm in your home, you know, like I have like levels of personal safety that I adhere to because I, I'm a woman. Of course. And I want to be alive. Yeah. And, uh, that, that, and statistically <laughs> you're a threat to me. You yes. know, like, Time for the fan or appreciation moment. Yeah. I mean, either it's a yeah or you're skipping forward right now. I don't know. Uh, This is the part of the podcast where I like to throw a few shout outs towards some listeners who support me on Patreon. Uh, I want to say shout out to Tom G, the NYC kinkster, uh, who who apparently knows our guest Jefferson from back in the day. Uh, thanks, Thanks for your support, buddy. Mario C up in Canada. I love that I've got such a strong foothold in the Canadian podcast sphere. Got a lot of you Canucks supporting me, uh, and I super appreciate it. Please save my country. Darcy, thank you so much. Darcy is a Peep Show regular. The Peep Show, our uh, our naughty picture kick group exclusively for patrons. Uh, she is a regular. She's a staple. She's a fan favorite over there. Darcy, thank you so much for your support. And you too can support the Man Horror Podcast for as little as $1 per month and access all sorts of fun perks like secret social media groups and bonus episodes of the Man Horror Podcast. Become a member today by visiting patreon.com slash Podcast. That's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Podcast. Now let's wrap up with Emily Varnum. Something that came up was we were talking about body autonomy, especially with children, mm-hmm. about like asking for things like the, yeah. the, the, this movement of like saying, like trying to teach kids to yeah. ask to give a hug instead of just mm-hmm. giving hugs or, yep. you know. Yeah. I So when I'm teaching body literacy to children, one of the things I realized that we do a lot of talking about consent with kids and very little practicing of consent. Mm-hmm. Um, I see rape culture starting with babies when people hear what my job is, know that I spend time with babies and say like, don't you think that not all babies are cute? And I'm like, um, I'm sorry. Do babies owe you cute? Do women owe you sexy? Do men owe you strong? I don't even really usually even use the term men and women, but like you get the point. Yeah. Of babies don't owe you shit. They're not here to look a certain way. They're not here to smile for you. You don't get to give them a hug or a kiss or just touch them because you see them and you feel some type of way. No, these babies are just babying. They are just people. <laughs> Babies be babying. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I can imagine the meme of like, yo, baby, you should smile. It's a baby giving the middle finger. Yeah, totally. <laughs> like, no. Like, it is like catcalling. And it really bothers me because I have such a connection with so many babies. And I really see and value their intelligence and how um, how much I learn from them and connect mm-hmm. with them. And, and I just, I really am like... If we're going to think about people being people from when they're born, we need to really get rid of that whole idea of like cute baby, like focusing on their appearance. It's so rapey. It's so rapey and like objectifying. So that's one thing. The hugging and kissing thing um, of, of not affirming that a child has autonomy and boundaries is another thing. Like we feel owed something by a child. It's not true. And it it makes them um it 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 fosters this belief that their body is for consumption that their their boundaries are not valid that they they're not being affirmed in their no and that's really dangerous it that carries on f- 
for your life. You know, your children are learning these things and, and it's really, really hard to unlearn. Mm. You know, they're, they're learning what their value is and their power and it's, it's really, um, it's, it's really problematic. So I, that's one thing that, that people can start doing is just to say, even if you're not a parent, you could like, if somebody offers you like, Oh, give Emily a kiss, just say like, actually, no, you don't need to give me a kiss. And this is why, um, this is why I don't buy into that. And you don't need to shame the parents and you don't need to make a big deal because if you really want it to be, you know, want them to take the lesson, you're not going to back them into a corner by mm-hmm. getting angry at them and shaming them and being like, I learned a thing five minutes ago. Let me pretend I'm an expert. <laughs> That's my worst thing, sure. honestly. Um, <laughs> and then in teaching body literacy to children, what I, what, and what I was just saying when I, when I started was, we talk so much about consent and we don't practice consent. And what that means for me is that I, when I'm in a room teaching children, I really have to have this relationship with them where they trust me and where I'm not going to show them anything that they're not emotionally ready to see. Because a lot of times we're so worried about like, well, if they don't know, they might, this might happen. And it's like, no, like teach them by doing, like get their consent to actually have this conversation with them. We don't want to be suddenly just showing them something like, oh, here's some vaginas, here's some vulvas, uh, here's a here's a cervix, here's some penis. Like, no, I don't need to see that right now. I'm not ready. I'm still in the talking phase. I respect you. I respect the pace that you're at. We're going to, you know, we're going to talk about those things. So I will put a book out on the table. I, I use this book by um, Anastasia Higginsbottom called Tell Me About Sex Grandma. Yeah, I've seen, I I think I've seen that like on the internet. She's awesome. Um, And I put it out on the table and they can flick through it and then we'll read it all together. And, um, you know, I've said like, how do you feel seeing this book? Like what's coming up? And, And kids have been like, I'm petrified. And so then we set, you know, we set the group agreements. We say like, if you if you don't want to be here, these are the ways that you can you know change your proximity to this this workshop right mm-hmm. now. You can um, sit out of the circle and just like look in and kind of be in the room. You can leave the room and do a different activity with another person. Like these are the ways that you can remove yourself, and that mm-hmm. is the lesson. That's the lesson is that I respect your no. If I don't respect your no as a young person, I better fucking go home. Honestly, it's so abusive to not to expect children to learn this thing that we are saying is going to protect them on our terms as adults who sometimes don't even remember being in that situation and just how much anxiety and stress there is around an adult. Like at any time we could pull out this conversation and they'll be trapped in it. And they don't get to say like, I don't want to mom. I don't want to talk about the fact that I'm getting boobs. Like, I just want to, you know, and that or like is, uncle Jimmy, I don't want you to give me rug burn on my face. Cause you think it's a cute thing. Yeah. To like no. shove your five o'clock shadow on my face and like give all your, your nieces and nephews like fucking rug burn. Cause you think no. it's a funny joke. It's like, not like, it's not fun. Like, I don't like this. Like, uh, no. I like me as a kid, I could handle a random hug. Uh, but you know, when it was uh, like, Hey, I'm going to do this. It's like, no, or stop tickling me, you know, stuff like that. And, Tot- tickling is the worst because oh, it's really hard for them to say no. I always tell people. And it hurts tickle. the most. Yeah. Don't tickle your baby. Yeah. It's a very confusing and scary. And it's, you know, it's, and I think adults who, who want to be better, like they need to just, they, they almost, you know, it's kind of like when men are like, but I'm one of the good ones. And you're like, well, dude, come on. Like, if you have if to you say really it, you are one of the good <laughs> ones, then you won't be offended. Right. In the same way that if someone's like, fuck white people, I'm like, that's cool. I'm not offended by that. Hmm. That doesn't offend me. You know, um, I need to be able to say men are trash. 
that I need well, to Well, right now, the that. Facebook community <laughs> standards, I don't know if you've been following the Not Marsha Belsky stuff. Oh, boy. Uh, comedians in New York have been having a whole lot of fun. Men are scum is just like a meme in the comedy community right now. We're all getting stuff taken down. Of course, like... Female comics have been getting banned from Facebook. Mine's just been getting taken down mm-hmm. and not banned. But, you know, that's how life apparently works these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, it's oh, and always since the beginning of time. And but, hope, like, but hopefully not in the future. Yeah, hopefully not. We're, we're really smashing it down. But so what, my point is right. really embody consent and act, like act consent. Don't tell consent. Children are learning from how you treat them. We're all learning from how like consent means feeling together. That's what that word means. Mm-hmm. So feel together like let them feel what consent feels like because that will be the most powerful lesson doesn't i'm not going to remember what you said yeah you know that's like that line of like people will remember how you made them feel not what you said like that is the point so you know just just showing them those things is so valuable and has been you know that was so life-changing for me and really so much of this is that we just bring into the world what we needed and everybody's responsibility is just to be better and to bring better than what they were born into, right? Like we're just, you know, we don't say like, oh, my parents taught me this, so that's what I'm trapped in. No, just just elevate. Be better. Elevate yourself, turn around and pull someone else up with you. Mm-hmm. That's it. It's fantastic. Emily, uh, you've been great. Can you tell us uh, if people want to learn more about uh, the fifth vital sign, where can they go if they want to just like uh, check out maybe, I don't, I don't know if you write in other places outside of the fifth vital sign, but where can people find you and your work and your organization? Yeah. So um, if you want to find me, the best way to do that is to, we're really just on Instagram the most. So. And it's, a re- it's, again, and you all know how much I hate Instagram. I bitch a lot, but it's really good. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Um, so it's at the fifth vital sign, which is all letters. Um you could also look at my personal Instagram and I will accept you if I feel like it. And, um, <laughs> and that's at Emily Moonbeam is my first and middle name. Um, we do have our website, which is 5thvitalsign.com. Um, you could look there. And then anything that I've done is just going to be on there. I've been on a ton of other podcasts. There's like stuff that I've written there. Um, if I, yeah, a lot of my stuff too, I can, um, yeah, you'll, you'll find it all there. Um, and you can also email me through the website, which is what you did. Yeah, that's what I did. Um, so do that. If you throw in like a little self-deprecation, apparently it goes over a little bit better. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, whatever works. Sure. Just show me that you're self-aware and down to fuck the patriarchy and uh, dismantle white supremacy and, and I'll be down. Awesome, awesome. Thanks so much for doing the show. And uh, why don't you say goodbye to everybody? If you, if you would like to. <laughs> why don't you go on ahead and give him a smile missy (laughs) um yeah thank you so much for having me on the show and i really hope i get to speak with some of your listeners i would love that awesome sounds good (laughs) were you fascinated i was fascinated i learned a lot i i also have a lot to learn uh, thank you so much to Emily Varnum uh, for, for chatting with me. Again, go check out her organization, The Fifth Vital Sign, at fifthvitalsign.com. Uh, that's fifth with, like, the number five. There was a lot of stuff we threw out there. There's a lot of names, some articles referenced, uh, some poetry. I got links to all those in the show notes. We threw a lot at you. I want you to be able to go check it out because there's a lot of really cool stuff, a minor bit of fact-checking. Uh, so go uh, take a look at the show notes if you want that. As usual, you can follow me on the social media at the Billy Presida. Use the hashtag ManWhorePodcast. Let me know what you thought about the show. I want to hear your. T- I want to see your tweets. I want to see your tags. 
I want to see your shares. If you want to email me a comment, a question, maybe some booby pictures, you can go ahead and shoot that over to manwhorepod at gmail.com. I don't, I don't typically ask for this one often. Uh, you know, I've asked for this in a while, but you know, if you, if you can, if you have a moment, if, if you care to, if you care about me, please go to iTunes and leave a rating and review. It, it really does help boost, boost a, a fella up the, uh, the iTunes rankings, which helps more people discover the show. And you know what? Also just makes me feel good. A lot of podcasters try to go like, oh, no, no, no. It's going to help with discovery. It's like, let's be honest. It's an ego boost. And hey, look, don't I deserve an ego boost from time to time, people? <laughs> Last but certainly not least, become a member of my fan whore community on Patreon for as little as $1 per month. It really does make a difference. Some people say, ah, Billy, I want to save up so I can do a real pledge. I'm like, no, no, no. Come on and join at a dollar. When you got more, you can give more. When you got less, you can give less. So long as you're on the teat for at least a dollar, it means a lot to me and genuinely helps me make a living as a professional sex podcaster, which is a a weird thing to say uh, just now. Professional sex podcaster. Professional sex talker. That's what I want my job title to say. Professional sex talker. And my patrons help make it happen. Yeah. Next week, uh, I'm really excited. We have an episode where we bring back a, a guest from way back when. Back from the original days of the Man Whore podcast. Anyone remember the zombie fucker? She'll be here next week. But until then, stay slutty. Stay <laughs> slutty.